Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. He looks to Curse's side. Curse's got a little room. He makes the catch. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. From 24 yards out, a perfect rainbow drops into the arms of Jermaine Curse. And the former Husky scores, and the Seahawks pounding the Cardinals now 30 to 6. Just nine days away from the regular season opener when the Seahawks take on the Packers. Welcome into the Game Plan Podcast, 1029thegame.com. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. Preseason finally over Perkins, and we can look ahead to week one. But first, a couple of big topics to talk about, uh, including wrapping up the preseason 4-0. First time that the Seahawks have done that since 2013. And a lot of trade rumors going on with this team as well. Yeah, 4-0 in the preseason. Let's go! Whose house? No one cares. That, that game last night... Felt like four preseason games in one. That's, Unbearable. It was an eternity. The first quarter was like an hour. Yeah. There was a review that took at least five minutes. Uh, fumble review that they got wrong, by the way. Not that it matters. It's preseason. But why are we taking five minutes to review a preseason fumble NFL? Exactly. What? What is the point? So that was a little frustrating. But uh, yeah, it was it was good to see a lot of the backups in there. A lot of guys that are fighting for a roster spot. You know, the quarterback battle I think has more intrigue than. Uh, maybe we initially thought going into preseason. Obviously, wide receiver, right, uh, has been a, a big topic of discussion. Right. And running back as well. So there were a lot of, of, of uh, places to keep an eye on. Um, but there were no starters in this game. And it, it, it clearly showed <laughs> as you were watching these guys on the field last night. Yeah, the key starters that sat out, Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, who didn't even make the trip, Doug Baldwin, Jimmy Graham, Michael Bennett, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, K.J. Wright, Cliff Averill, and Bobby Wagner. None of those guys played. So it gave a lot of opportunity for some of the younger guys and fringe players to prove themselves. You're always looking for that in the fourth preseason game because this weekend, Perkins, is when Pete Carroll, John Schneider, got to cut the roster down 37 spots. This is a little different from preseason's past. Generally, there would be a gradual cut process from 90 to 75 to 53. Now they give you four weeks of 90 players on your team. So you got to make a lot of decisions here in the next 36 hours. You do. I Saturday is when they have to make the decision by Saturday 1 afternoon or yeah, 1, 1 p.m. PM. Yeah, so I, I will say this, though. I like the change because it does give you more time to scout some of these guys. And when you're really splitting hairs, right, with, with a lot of these position players, it's nice to have those extra one or two preseason games, right, to, mm-hmm. to really make that decision. But you're right, it makes Saturday – a really tough day, I think, for uh, for Seattle. You know, I'm sure this is one of the more difficult times of year for coaches and players alike, um, having to cut ties with guys that are just trying to, you know, play that live their dream and play NFL football. Um, you know, two more starters sat out. You know, you you saw uh, Thomas Rawls out, Eddie Lacy as well. But right. it was interesting because CJ Procise did get some run in that game, and I mean, Procise is going to make the roster. You know, we've seen how effective he can be on the offensive side of the ball when he's healthy. You know, he's been in the league for one season. They're not going to give up on a guy that early. Um, and I think they really wanted him to just go out there and get some contact. And he he looked rusty. I'm not going to lie. He looked rusty. He hadn't played since week one of the preseason. Uh, you know, there were a few cuts. He, he was very indecisive. Um, but I'm really excited to see him out there to see if he can stay healthy. Uh, so the the running back position, though, is a battle that and wide receiver both that uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what decision this team comes to. Yeah, we'll flesh that out here coming up on the podcast. Uh, RB depth, O-line depth, wide receiver depth. What is that going to look like? Oh, one more takeaway. 
Offensive line, still not good, especially on the right side. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jermaine Effetti and Glow got just burned like toast multiple times on, you guessed it, ding, 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 stunts. So, it, it, it. I mean, I look, I get it. It's the fourth preseason game, but they're going up against guys that are not starters, and they're getting burned time and time again. It was really painful to watch, and especially on that side. You know, obviously, Britt looked fine. The left side of the line looked, pre- I mean, for the most part, pretty solid. Effetti had another false start in the game that actually derailed a drive early in the first quarter. So that was one other takeaway I wanted to tell you is I do not feel good at all about the right side of that old line heading into this season. Jermaine Curse trade rumors. That came out a couple days ago, Wednesday evening, ESPN's Diana Rossini with the report that the Seahawks were trying to trade Jermaine Curse. First reaction was, I'm all right with that. Then you let it sink in a little bit more and the emotions start to play in. One of the most polarizing players that the 12s have ever had to deal with in Jermaine Curse because, let's be honest, the talent just doesn't seem to be there, despite what you might say about the clutch factor and, of course, the homecoming dynamic. A guy that grew up in Lakewood, Lakes High School, undrafted to the NFL, to the Seahawks, two of the biggest catches in franchise history, great playoff numbers, but last year first year of his three-year contract that he signed just didn't perform Perkins and now they're trying to trade him yeah it is a little bit you know me I'm not in the curse fan club but I will say that if slash when he gets traded they're not going to cut him so he's either going to get traded or he's going to be on the team would be my guess because cutting him doesn't save them pretty much anything uh I I mean unless you just think that your team can be better without him yeah, which is hard for me to believe. Well, that's the point. question, though. What do you, you know, I, are I, they better with Amari Darbo, Kaysen Williams than with Jermaine Curse? Yeah, and I, I'm not, I don't, I mean, personally, I don't think so. I will say this I think that they're trying to bring someone else in via a trade that has a relatively substantial cap hit. They moved some money around on Doug Baldwin's contract today to make some more cap room mm. for the team this season. So I do think that's one reason they're trying to trade him and potentially Jeremy Lane is to open up something to bring in maybe a defensive lineman or maybe another offensive lineman or something of that nature. So I do think there's some strategy to this. It's not just we don't like him anymore, we want to trade him. It's, okay, he has some trade value, we can relieve some cap space to bring in whoever we want to bring in. I do feel like last year they tried to force-feed him the ball. Russell did for a variety of reasons. We talked about the red zone targets that he got and the lack of red zone production that he got, and those were looks that were taken away from guys that deserved more of them, like Jimmy Graham. So I think you got to factor that part into it when you're contemplating whether or not to move the guy. There is When he's on the field, for whatever reason, there seems to be, at least last year, an ex- not an expectation, but almost an urgency to get Jermaine Curse the ball that I don't think should exist. Now he's a wide receiver three. You know, I think so. He's a wide receiver three. He has a spot in the NFL. He has a place in the NFL. He has the talent, but he is not a go-to receiver. And he was—he seemed to be treated as a go-to receiver in certain situations by Russell last year. Would you agree with that? I would, yes. And it was very frustrating. Yeah. And even this year, early in the preseason, they were in the red zone. Was that week one mm-hmm. on their opening drive? Freaking fade route to curse. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's that just, was week two, I think. Week two. Okay. And the next play... Same fade route to Kaysen Williams. Kaysen Williams touchdown. Touchdown, yeah. The ball was a little better placed. But yes, I, I here's the thing. It's going to be weird because if he gets traded, there's a little bit of relief, I think, among the fan base because, like you said, he was getting some targets that seemed uh, out of place. 
But you do have to look back fondly, right, on a lot of things that he did. You have written down here the two NFC Championship game catches against the the Niners and against, obviously, the Packers that we all remember. Mm -hmm. Even the Super Bowl catch against the uh, Broncos, even though the game was pretty much out of hand, where he breaks four tackles to get into the end zone. One of my favorite highlights from that game, no and then, doubt. Obviously in Super Bowl 49, you have the, the 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 catch that people don't talk about just because of obviously the end result, but the catch off the foot. I mm-hmm. mean, that was the uh, you know, just another that was supposed to be another catch in the legacy that is Patriots Super Bowl losses. So he has made a lot of big plays and big moments, but at what point is he hindering you uh, with the targets that he's getting during the regular season? I mean, he caught what, 41 reception? How many times was he targeted? I want to say in the 80s to 90s last year. Yeah. I mean, that's not a good percentage. No, no, not a good catch percentage. You mentioned his big catches in the championship game and Super Bowl in 12 career playoff games. The numbers are there 31 catches, 493 yards, six touchdowns in 12 career playoff games, including the two game winners. Keep in mind that just two years ago, he almost he had 49 catches, 685 yards, five touchdowns. Decent numbers. It's just last year, 41, 510, and a touchdown in your first year into a three year deal. I think you just look back and, you know, it, revisionist history all you want, but it's fair to criticize John Schneider and Pete Carroll for giving him the three year contract extension. It really is, or the, the three year contract yeah. that he signed in 2016 because year one didn't produce nearly what you wanted him to. No, and the problem is, too, the first two years of the contract, you pretty much have completely guaranteed dollars. Yeah. Which is which is tough because you can't cut ties with a guy. I mean, if you just cut him, I mean, you're you're still getting no relief on the cap. So I, you know, it, it's a strange situation because there is a lot of depth. But I mean, here are some question marks with the receiving core. You know, Doug Baldwin's, you know, barring some sort of major injury, you know, he's stayed healthy throughout his career for the most part. Very he's consistent, been very consistent, reliable, so, and always. So right? assume he's wide receiver one this year for the entire season. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um. You know, Tyler Lockett, can he stay healthy? You know, he's a guy that last year before he broke his leg had the knee injury for the first, what, six games of the season that really hindered him as mm-hmm. well. Uh, it's hard to even keep track of all the damn injuries they had last year, but I remember him being, you know, much slower. On, and when he finally got healthy, that's when he broke his leg. But he's another guy that's that's small, you know, and, and how many hits can he take before he gets an injury that sidelines him maybe for a game, maybe for a couple games, or at least slows him down. Paul Richardson, it feels like he's made of glass. You know, with with how often he gets injured. So if you trade away Curse, I mean, you're you're really going to depend on those guys in particular to step up because beyond that, you have a lot of unproven talent. Yeah. Guys that, yes, in preseason have looked good, but will that translate? I guess only time will tell. Without Curse, two out of the three top receivers have major injury questions. There's no doubt about that. And then the other guys behind him are improvement, like you said, which to me brings in the pass-catching group as a whole. You still have one of the best tight ends in football in Jimmy Graham. At least you got that. If if you utilize him and he produces to the level of expectation that he has and should, then maybe that lessens the pain of of lo- the quote unquote pain of losing a Jermaine Curse. Jimmy Graham has an opportunity to have a huge season this year and remind everyone why he's one of the top NFL tight ends in all football. Yeah, he's super talented. Hopefully, he gets more targets and then you know. Luke Wilson's back after I'm a little surprised he's back, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, really couldn't find a home anywhere else. So he's back in Seattle, which, you know, he's another guy that has had some consistency issues, but he knows the system well and you expect him to perform. And then, of course, Nick Vanette has been disappointing, I would say, in his first few years in Seattle, just based on some of the expectations with 
where he was drafted and and things like that. But you're right. There are the, the tight end group does supplement those wide receivers quite a bit. And if trading away a Jermaine curse gives you an opportunity to bring in like a Sheldon Richardson or an offensive lineman of some sort, I don't I still feel like they're gonna go defensive line. Um Jeez, if they can get Sheldon Richardson, <laughs> I'd I'd do that and all. Well, I, I do RB, believe, right? you know, they moved Doug Baldwin's money around today. That's that's a Field Yates report um, on, on Twitter that they moved some money around and freed up some cap space this year that they'll have to pay for, obviously, later. I do think that means that they are getting ready to make a move to bring in a name okay. of some sort. I like that. Yeah. I would be fine with another team trading for Jermaine Curse. I would put it that way. I think it's time for emotions to be emotions and let them be and move on. Though I will say That's this. That's my stance. You know, the report is the Browns are interested. That poor guy. You know what? I know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but he would be like the number one guy there. He the would number, be. Number two guy. He would be. You that know, would be a and, chance for him to shine. Deshaun Kaiser. He'd get a lot of opportunity. We saw what Terrell Pryor did as the number one guy, right? That's a former QB. So I don't think that would be a bad thing. And to be honest, Cleveland, though they they still are a bad football team, I think they're going to get five wins. I mean, I don't think they'll be a one-win team like they were last year. That's fair. All right. Curse isn't the only one with these trade rumors. You mentioned his name earlier, but Jeremy Lane, another 27-year-old player that uh, was a six-round pick at a northwestern northeastern state back in the day. <laughs> Played some nickel, got a lot of run with the Seahawks, but Perkins now, he seems to be another name that's being floated out there, and he has contract structure similar to Curse's in terms of salary cap hit. There's really not much you can do about it for this year as opposed to next year, but they're trying to gauge the market, it sounds like, according to Ian Rappaport for Jeremy Lane. Yeah, and, and once again, this is probably to make room for whatever they're trying to do. Uh, you know, the thing about Lane is I still feel like that Super Bowl changed significantly when he went down. No doubt. Oh, man. Um, I mean, that was a huge, huge play in the game. Huge. And, but then when he did go out, the nickel was wide open, and then any guy that they put on Therald Simon was was Brady's guy. And and that's the thing is is I feel like Lane can still be really effective in that position. Yeah. I think that... You know, being a, a CB2 clearly is not where he is supposed to be on the outside, which is fine. Now, it's a little he, bit weird because I feel like he had the length for it. I, I know. It's it's strange, and I think they paid him assuming that he, you know, he could fill that void, and clearly he can't. And, I mean, is it fair to say that he's being overpaid for being a, a nickel guy? Mm-hmm. Probably. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's the problem that they're having. But, I mean, I he's, he's a guy, unlike Curse, where I feel like the impact – would be felt if he's gone, if he's dealt. Now, I know they did bring in some guys this offseason via um, via the draft that they feel pretty confident about moving forward in the future. I just don't know if they're ready to come in right away. But, you know, I, I, may, I have a soft spot for Lane. I feel like he's a really good, you know, he's been a good player. He's had inconsistent moments, but when he's put in the right position, he can really have an impact. We talked about what the wide receivers would look like. Should Kirsch move on? Should Lane move on? You have Sherman on one corner, and that would basically promote Shaquille Griffin, the rookie third-round pick out of UCF, to have the starting job on the right side, be the right cornerback starting week one. Honestly, I think if they don't trade him, that should still be the case. Yeah, and that and, might very well might be with Lane starting a nickel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I'm know, not sure if that that's 100% ensured if Lane's returning, that he's starting at nickel as opposed to right corner, but we're, what we're saying here now is that Lane is better better suited for the nickel position anyway. They did bring in also Jermaine Brock, 
from the the former 49er defensive back that has some sketchy legal history, had fans a little questionable. Seattle is buying in on Tremaine Brock, and if they move a guy like Lane or even talking about moving a guy like Lane, seems to be a vote of confidence in what they see on the field from Tremaine Brock. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Griffin looked um, serviceable when he was out there. He had some good plays week one, uh, you know, defensively out there playing with the first team on the defensive side. So, you know, once again, unproven, you know, you got to, I mean, really until the regular season, it's so hard to take that much away just because, you know, if a guy stubs his toe, he's sitting out. So a lot of starters miss preseason games, you know, regardless if it's week one or week three or week four. So it's really hard to tell, but I, I will say this. I would be more hesitant to to trade off Jeremy Lane than I would Jermaine Curse. Let's put it that way. Personally, that's how I feel. I think the impact would be my counter to that would be when you have guys like Earl and Cam, they can cover up a lot of stuff, especially Earl. Yeah. They can cover up a lot of stuff that might be quote unquote lacking at the nickel position by well, losing one guy. Whereas the wide receiver depth might feel an impact more by losing Curse because you talk about the injury concerns to Lockett and P. Rich and the unproven nature of Darbo and Kaysen. I mean, and Wilson does make receivers better, clearly. You know, with you saw McAvoy last year, right? Come That's out and make some big plays. Who makes his who makes his uh, complimentary pieces better? Wilson and the receivers or Thomas and the DB? <laughs> Similar. That's a good question. Similar, right? It is. I mean, that's a good question. I'd have to think about that one a little bit. Because Earl can cover up a lot. And if you end up trading Lane and you bring in like a Sheldon Richardson, by the way, our quarterback's going to even have time to throw <laughs> anything into the secondary. I love so. that idea because... There's nothing more important. We talk about pressure all the time, but as opposed to like edge pressure now, I feel like the more important thing is interior pressure. Can you have a nose tackle or a, or a three technique get push up the middle in a quarterback space? That seems to be to be more important or more effective now in the NFL than it is to have a dominant edge rusher. And that would be if they could get an impact guy like that. That'd be that'd be awesome. I mean, their defensive line would be ridiculous. Yeah. It's already Absolutely. pretty damn good. I mean, it already is, but I mean, you add a guy like him, he's a superstar. Uh, Alex Collins was also in that report from Ian Rappaport, possibly looking to see if teams are interested in his trade value. Yeah, that one I don't understand. Really. I don't think anybody's going to... seventh Conditional seventh-round pick, maybe? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? I... But what what does that tell you then about Chris Carson in the RB race? I kind of like Chris Carson. I, to- I, was a... I told you in week two, I thought he was better than Alex Collins. If I was a betting man... I would bet that Chris Carson makes the roster. Yeah. And Carson didn't look especially fantastic last night, you know, from what I saw in the first quarter. You know, full disclosure, I watched the first quarter and I watched the final drive. <laughs> I think so, we all, yeah, I think so we were all there. I'm, I, I didn't watch four quarters of preseason Seahawks football, but, you know, watching him in that opening quarter, once again, the offensive line was not great, <laughs> but he did not look outstanding by any stretch. He didn't look bad, but... You know, Alex Collins, you know, had, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago on the, on this very podcast and I was saying, you know, Alex Collins had some moments last year in the regular season, but I do agree with you. I think that when you're talking upside, it seems like Carson has more upside. And I feel like I actually almost went in on waivers in my fantasy league and, uh, and grabbed him, but I want to wait and see what, uh, 10 team. Uh, no, it's, it's only an eight man, which is why I didn't do it. Yeah, you don't because need Chris Carson and Amen. Like. Not in, not unless he ends up being the starter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's but like my inner Homer, like a little bit. I was yeah. like, oh, I kind of want to go just so I can be the guy that was like, yeah, I was ahead of the trend. <laughs> How do you like that? I did take Marshawn Lynch, Ooh. like second to last round or third to last round. Very nice. <laughs> the running back depth would look like as long as we're talking hypotheticals and guys moving on. 
if Alex Collins was cut or traded. Rawls, Lacey, Prosize, Carson, fullback Marcel Reese. I like McKissick? that group. I don't think McKissick makes it. You don't think so? Returner? I think he makes it. You already have four backs there. I don't think Reese makes it. Marcel Reese? Yeah. Really? Mm. I think. Do they have a fullback? I don't know if they're going to. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. I love Marcel Reese in the past game. How often they like to split him out wide? I'm just just telling you my opinion. I I, feel like McKissick's a a pretty big talent. I I don't know if you're going to turn him down. All right. You know, and he's been playing a little bit of receiver, returner, running back. Kind of a he's kind of a guy that can be wherever you need. He has a lot of flexibility. Practice squad. He's a flex player. He could be flex. practice squad, squad though. Another team can obviously pick him up from a practice squad. I they don't could. know. We'll see what happens. Saturday the Seahawks have some really. Diff- I'm glad I'm not uh, the coaching staff because they have some difficult look, decisions. I think Casey Williams deserves a spot. I agree. He deserves a spot. What about Lawler? No. Doesn't make it. I, I mean, he, he did enough, but it's practice squad for Kenny or another team. It's, it's he's fine. Had a touchdown last night. Game winner, right? Good yeah. throw from Davis. Yeah. You think Davis from second string quarterback Austin Davis? You mean second string quarterback Austin Davis? All right. Before we wrap up, I mean, we can't not mention the offensive line. The George fan. We actually haven't talked since the George fan ACL tear. And so, where has this left the offensive line? Well, you know, Justin Britt's going to stick there at center. And Luke Jokel going to probably stay at guard yeah. on the left side. There was some talk, would Jokel just take another step out and be the left tackle where he's played before? <laughs> but it looks like it's going to be Jokel still at left guard, and it's been Reese Odiambo at left tackle. You mentioned the problems on the right side of the line that you've seen. You're laughing right now because it's Reese Odiambo. Just, yeah. The point stands. This is going to be another pull-your-hair-out type of year on the offensive line. Who wins the right guard position, Glowinski or Abushi? And Effetti is on the right tackle slot, and you still have that name in Ethan uh, Posick, who I still am high on him, but it looks like he's going to be the floating depth piece right now. And God forbid anyone else gets hurt. What, was, way, your, what was your first reaction with the George fan thing? I felt bad for him, obviously. I, I hate those kind of, especially guys that are like really trying to make a name. You know, they don't have a lot of, they don't have guaranteed money on their deals. You know, they're no. just, they're guys that, you know, I, I just feel, I felt really bad for him. Um, You know, from a playing standpoint, it's incredible, but I was like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> now what do you do? Because, and that's saying something because I, I don't think either you or I had a lot of faith in his abilities, but no, but at least he's been there. I was buying into the idea that he had improved and just worked relentlessly in the offseason and was going to make the year one to year two leap. And I was all, buying into that idea. And in all fairness to him, he was looking, and once again, it's preseason, but he was looking pretty good in preseason, yep. especially in that game specifically before he got injured. Uh, I got to tell you, what does this say about Luke Jokel that they do not want him at left tackle? What does that say about his left tackle skills? Well, they just don't think he can play left tackle. No, historically, he's been a better guard than tackle in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, but I, that's just incredible to Probably me. a better run blocker than a pass blocker. But this is a guy that was, what, a top two pick? Was he the second pick? Second pick. He's the second pick in the draft. Out of A&M. Supposed to be a left tackle. And you have a team with a patchwork offensive line. And one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And a guy that has played left tackle as a former number two pick that they are going to put in 
Ariso Diombo at left tackle over him. It's just incredible mm-hmm. to me. It just speaks to his to how they where they believe he fits. But I do think it's important to put these guys where where you think they're going to perform best. Obviously, I have no faith in the right side of the line at all. Um, I'm frankly terrified for Russell's well being going into this season because I just don't know how they're going to uh, you know when you're going up against these tough uh, edge rushers. I don't know what they're you know. I mean, Afedi looks like he has cement blocks in his feet. He's committing dumb penalties. Uh, That's going to put even further importance to establish the run game, be a run-first team again this year. Because if you're a pass-first team, that'll mean, well, not pass-first, but if you're trying to pass the ball a little bit more than you should and you become even in the slightly way predictable, that'll put Ed, that'll prick up the ears of Ed Rushers, and that will get Efedi, Ibushi, Glowinski, all those guys that lack in pass-pro skills, Get them on their hind heels. Once you become predictable, the offensive line's going to be shaking in their boots, and Wilson's going to have to try to make plays, for one, stay healthy, and then, two, make plays outside the pocket. And it's going to be tough to rely on that week in, week out. I will say this. It is going to be, I think, a better running back group than last year, right? Just top to bottom. Mm-hmm. It feels deeper. L- Lacey helps. Yeah, Lacey's obviously a big reason for that. Now, Rawls and ProSize haven't been able to stay healthy in their NFL careers, so are they going to again? I don't know, but you you have to feel pretty good about you know guys that are there around them. So I agree with you. I think they're going to have to be more diligent about the run game again this year, and I I just don't think they had confidence in their guys last year, you know at that on that side of things. So I don't know, man. I I got to tell you, after watching last night, it did not help at all. You know that was pretty much the only position group that there were starters playing at the beginning of that game. And I, I don't know. At what point does this fall on the coaching staff? I mean, you know, we talk about the players and how they seem unprepared and bad, just bad at their positions. I mean, at what point do we start talking about Tom Cable with this? I mean, oh, I think you already have, you know, but but then again, a lot of these guys were supposed to be quote unquote long term projects. And that's why it sucks when a guy like a long term project like Fant doesn't get the chance to show any type of improvement. But and there's no like Tom Cable. He's done well with a lot of guys. It's just this group is, I'm rightly skeptical. And who knows how long Russell could stay healthy. And then ultimately, how long, if Russell doesn't win, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say it's it's a failure by the Seahawks if he doesn't win MVP. But if he gets hurt or banged up or doesn't maximize his season because of his offensive line for another year, I think now you're talking about blaming Pete and John for putting him in that position. Top to bottom talent and schedule. What is your what is your minimum expectation for? What will you be disappointed? What where is the threshold where you're like they did not do what they were supposed to do this year? You know what I mean? Like at the end of the season when you look back and go, okay, maybe they didn't win the Super Bowl, but blank as kind of a well, consolation. Because for me, it's a, it's NFC Championship game or bust minimum for this team this year. And the offensive line could once again be the the entity that does them in. You look at their schedule, you look at their depth on in most areas outside of the offensive line and the talent that they have. And these guys are, you know, sitting in a at a time and place right now that is very um that is, you know, they're all in their prime. They're not over the hill yet. I I I mean, seriously, it, it needs to be NFC championship game at minimum or bust. It needs to be a top two seed in the NFL for me. NFC for me, eleven wins or more, and a spot in the NFC Championship game. Yep, I would agree. 
Okay. Because that means winning a home divisional game, getting to the NFC title game, at least. Um, you know, once you're there, you got a shot. So well, that's the thing is that's why I said minimum championship game, just because you just the NFL is such a crapshoot when you get to that point. It's hard to win. Yeah. But anyway, I was just curious because I feel again like the offense. Honestly, line I think that this, this team back. I took a completely agree. And I think that week one at Green Bay could be Seahawks at Packers for the NFC title again. This time at Lambeau. It's kind of crazy to think because, you know, you never want to overreact. And regardless of what happens in that game, I don't think you should overreact one way or another about which team is better or this or that because there's so much NFL football to be played and injuries and all these things. But that game could very well decide who gets home field advantage. Very well I mean, could. It, and it's crazy to think about. I was about, just thinking that. But, no. but week one, I mean, that game is one of the bigger week one games that I can remember for the Seahawks just from that standpoint. Because week one's more exciting, right? As a fan, you're just like, yeah, it's the season. It started again. Your team kind of gets out of the gate slow, or they lose by a couple points, or they win, but it's not pretty. You go, ah, you know. Like Miami the, last year. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of games left to be played, and it's cool, not a big deal. But this one feels a little bit like, crap, that's a missed opportunity if they don't win that game, because it could very well come down to it in the end. It'll be Sunday, 125, nationally televised on Fox. He's Football! Brian, he's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. We'll be back again next week previewing Seahawks, Packers, and the rest of the week one in the NFL on 1029thegame.com.